you have no idea uh, of how you should do things, but the truth is no one has no idea. So you have to, to basically invent uh, everything from the legal structure to the smart contract for your DAO or for your protocol or how yeah, the to whole deploy argument. smart contracts and everything. You have to learn everything. And, uh, and the thing is that in Web3, uh, everything is very close to the code in the end. Because a DAO, for example, is, is a piece of code. You, the product that you have is a piece of code and everything. So it's quite uh, deeply technical. And even as a, as a CEO, I had to, like, so I come from a technical background, but uh, I'm glad I am because uh, otherwise I think I would have struggled a lot uh, following what, my, what the company is doing because everything we do is code, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so, and math. <laughs> and math, yeah. Blockchain, crypto, NFTs, DeFi, Metaverse, Web3 is literally eating the world and community builders are the new leaders. Hi everyone, I'm Bilal El Alami, co-founder of Pirates Lab, a startup studio fully dedicated to Web3 startups. In Pirates Land, I'll give the mic to Web3 builders, founders and investors so that we can deep dive with them into what is truly about Web3 entrepreneurship. No conventional bullshit, only creativity, rebellion, and community-driven insights. Morpho, 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 Morpho. Hello there. Here today I'm with Paul Frambo, the CEO and co-founder of Morpho, the DeFi protocol that everybody talked about this summer. Maybe someone even added it on, on the dictionary. <laughs> How are you, Paul, today? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for, for having me on the podcast and I hope you enjoy the Morpho offices. Definitely, definitely. Very excited. Uh, very pleased to spend some time with you. Um, I was very impressed by the whole work that you and your team have been doing the, the past weeks. Um, our, uh, like I have, I have a story for you, you know, like the first day I heard about you, like I had literally two VCs calling me uh, one after the other saying, wow, Bilal. I heard of a deal, uh, people, CNRS, uh, Telecom, Polytechnic, uh, have you heard of something? Like the VCs were completely FOMO'd. <laughs> it was a long time I haven't seen people uh, that, that FOMO'd on, on, a, on a project. So that's, that's crazy what, you, what you've done, guys. Yeah, I'm glad, uh, glad people uh, FOMO'd a little bit about <laughs> it. Uh, we had a crazy fundraising uh, indeed and a lot of noise around it as well, but I think we'll have the chance to discuss it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So before we get into Morpho and, and what you guys stand for, um, let us talk a little bit about yourself. Where, where did you grow up? Um, tell us a little bit more about your childhood. Yep, so I uh, grew up in the countryside in Normandy, so uh, really far away from anything. Um, was really not into like, uh, you know, I had a very slow life uh, in the beginning, having fun with, with math and maybe a little bit of tech. But really, I was not until my, I would say, like 13 years old, uh, really a peaceful uh, teenager life. <laughs> uh, and then when I was 14, I started getting more and more uh, interested in entrepreneurship. Uh, at the time, I had a, a funny YouTube channel and even though I did not like creating content, uh, I was just thinking of how I could grow, I would not say businesses, but projects in general. So uh, at the time, for example, I contacted radios uh, and had my YouTube channel advertised on radios, national radios, even though I did not have any content. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, 
uh, had a couple of thousand subscribers thanks to those tricks. Uh, but uh, yeah, in the end, it was not technical enough for me. So around uh, when I was in, in high school, I started, uh, you know, uh, being more and more interested in computer science uh, and then distributed algorithms specifically uh, and consensus algorithms and then Bitcoin. <laughs> uh, so that was back, uh, I don't know, like uh, 2016 maybe. And um, back then really was, you know, pure technical interest at first. Um, and in parallel, uh, I started growing uh, more and more interest uh, for entrepreneurship in general. So when I left high school, uh, I went for uh, preparatory classes. So in France, those are two years where you basically supposed to do some hard work uh, on math and theoretical stuff that are not so useful in practice, but are here to, you know, uh, test people and, and have them work as much as possible. And uh, I really did not enjoy this uh, during two years. So my first year of preparatory school, I, I decided to start a company. And uh, during some time uh, in this first year, I, I, I did not go to, to the classes <laughs> and everything and, and did my, my own thing, which uh, after a year uh, completely uh, screwed up, it was not relevant at all. Uh, so I had to deal with my, my preparatory class and, and, and the company as well, which I decided to stop. Um, and yeah, focused the second year of preparatory classes. Uh, at the time, I did a memo on, on blockchains. So during the, this time, you have to do a memo. And um, I did it on, on, on blockchain and actually uh, a specific uh, DLT, so distributed ledger technology called, called uh, IOTA. And um, yeah, uh, the day I finished preparatory classes, back to entrepreneurship and back to blockchain, I had three years in Telecom Paris and Polytechnic, uh, where I studied blockchain and where I started many businesses ideas that all did not work. Uh, Until you do the biggest yeah. fundraising since Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> yeah, no, sure. But uh, I think I did like pretty maybe three or four different projects. Um, some of them ended up, you know, working a little bit, but not sufficiently that uh, I, uh, I continue working on it. So I had projects with uh, uh, caritative streaming uh, at first, then it was about real estate and how to change some uh, you know, business model in, in real estate. Uh, and then thirdly, uh, it was more about uh, startup recruitment and how I can uh, basically uh, sell my friends uh, from top schools to, to startups. <laughs> uh, and I had uh, my, my small agency where I basically recommended all my friends okay. and all my school to startups and okay. I get paid to, to do so. So But, yeah, sorry. Let, let's get back in this entrepreneurship mindset that, that you have because yeah. it's from very young that you, you, you had this entrepreneurial mindset trying to hack problems, uh, fix issues, uh, build companies, federate people around an idea. Where does it come from? Who were your, um, how, how can I say, your, who, who inspired you? Uh, who, was, who, who was the person that was the most impactful on, on you? We all have someone, like the first person I'm thinking of. I, I don't think, to be honest, I have a really, a, someone that really inspired me specifically. I think uh, uh, if I were to say something inspiring in my life, uh, I would probably go with um, 
uh, an anime uh, that I have been uh, watching when I was young and I still watch today, which is One Piece. Yeah, nice. And it's a very, uh, it's a very childish yet so uh, exciting um, uh, anime where basically the goal uh, is to achieve uh, freedom uh, of. Uh, and, and really, I think I'm motivated by freedom in general, like to be as free as possible to do whatever I want to do. And it appears that entrepreneurship is probably one of the easiest roads uh, to that goal, in my opinion. So when you look at, okay, uh, the world today, if you want to be as free as possible, well, entrepreneurship is probably one of the most interesting paths. It's a luxury, but which is very hard. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks. 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 <clears throat> let's let's dig quickly into into Morpho. How would you define Morpho and its vision? What do you want it to bring to the world? So, Morpho. Um, How did you came up with the idea in the first place? Yep. So the idea is that I had been working on on consensus algorithms and blockchains, so layer one, uh, for a long time. And slowly, so when Ethereum came out and started coding on, on the EVM and slowly went up the stack of, uh, of blockchains. So starting with L1, then EVM and, and smart contracts and, and DeFi. And really, I was taking every single uh, lesson on blockchain that existed in Paris. Uh, I took like uh, all the one from Polytechnic, Telecom Paris, ENS, uh, University, and uh, KNAM as well. Uh, and in all of those um, lectures, I really uh, often came across one specific professor called uh, Vincent Danos, and very famous in France for his research in DeFi. And um, I came up, you know, uh, I started, you know, chatting with him a little bit, and we started a, a think tank about DeFi. And basically, we had. Uh, twice or thrice a week we would regroup and just think and talk about DeFi and what we can improve about it. So really I had followed all the history of DeFi. I could see the inefficiencies of it because we've been modeling them but also because we've been following a lot. And then uh, we've been working on, on how can we solve those inefficiencies that we could see uh, with our own eyes but also through the math that we've been doing. And, and really, it was quite a natural approach. And the natural birth, birth of Morpho is that it's a lending protocol, Morpho. And we just looked back at what was existing uh, as lending protocols. So you have Aave, you have Compound. And it's very simple. You go to the Compound website, you have a very low lending API. You have a very high borrowing API. And it's not a fee that they take, it's an inefficiency due to various reasons. And we just look at that problem and say, hey, how can we crack that? And we found a way, and actually a beautiful way, uh, and that is Morpho, basically. So a lending protocol that is much more efficient than existing lending protocols, and that preserves everything you previously had in other lending protocols. So you have one Morpho for each lending protocol that is existing. So Morpho Aave for Aave, Morpho Compound for Compound, etc. And it's uh, what we say, we, we call it in science, a Pareto improvement. So it's exact same thing as the underlying protocol, but better, basically. So if you're a user of Aave, using Morpho Aave is strictly better. If you're a user of Compound, using Morpho Compound is strictly better. And since Compound and Aave represent billions, like at the moment, tens of billions 
of, of volume. Uh, it really clicked in the mind of VCs when we you know, discussed with them and explained them how it was working. They were like, okay, why as a user of Aave, wouldn't I move from Aave to Mofo Aave? And once they were convinced by that, you know, it started the whole thing and everything. And what would... Um why would Aave and, and Morpho want to improve the capital efficiency of the deposits? You mean Aave itself? Yeah. Yeah, so it's a good question. They could do like Aave 2 or like Curve V2, Curve V3, Uniswap, V2, V3. Yeah, sure. So um, here is the problem. Uh, Aave is a liquidity protocol which has a very nice feature, which is you can withdraw at any time and you can borrow at any time. And this feature uh, is only possible because uh, they have a ton of idle liquidity in their smart contract. So they have billions that is not working, that is inefficient. And this is where the inefficiency comes from. But, so they have billions in the smart contract that isn't used. And this is not a bug, this is a feature. And actually the reason why you have such a spread between the lending and the borrowing rate is that Aave itself has put the spread, so, so the spread such that you don't have so much borrowers and you have many lenders. Okay. Okay. So it's incentivized to have a bunch of idle liquidity to remain liquid. And so MoFo is not uh, taking care, is not considering liquidity of the protocol, of the Morpho protocol itself, because it's relying on the Aave liquidity itself. Mm -hmm. So what I'm trying to say is that Morpho is going to have, a, uh, is not considering this uh, spread. So you, if it's 1% to lend on Aave and 3% to borrow, on Morpho it's going to be 2% for lenders and borrowers. Mm -hmm. And the problem with that is that um, uh, at first glance, you could say, hey, I'm lending $100 at 2%. And so someone is borrowing my $100 at 2%. So once it's borrowed, the money is not here, right? It's gone. And, and really, uh, the problem here is that it's very capital efficient, but it's illiquid. Because as a lender, if I want to withdraw, well, my money is, is gone, right? Yeah. So I can't. But the magic of Morpho is that it sits on top of Aave, so it's going to be able to use, through complex mechanisms, uh, the Aave liquidity in order for me to withdraw at any time. So Morpho is a, an improvement. Yet having the optimization yes. and the capital. Yes, and this is the very okay. cool thing. Amazing. Uh, but this is not something Aave can do internally because it's very tangential to the purpose of Aave. Aave yeah, is being a liquid protocol. It's a liquidity protocol. So they do not even call themselves a lending protocol. So the basic, pro the basic hypothesis are fundamentally different. Yes. And, and yet Morpho is the exact same product. So it's a very weird relationship between Aave and Morpho. Uh, but very interesting. Interesting. Well. So you appears to be kind of a, an aggregator that, on top of it, optimized the liquidity of yeah the the, the, the capital the... efficiency. Yeah. So if you use Morpho Aave, you'll have an advantage compared to Aave users in terms of efficiency, and out of it you get better rates, and you preserve the liquidity of your loan, so you can withdraw at any time, you can borrow at any time, and you, you can borrow <coughs> billions if you want to right now on on, on Morpho. So that's very cool. And, uh, and you preserve the same also risk guarantees, so same liquidation parameters and, and everything. All right, all right, all right. Can you tell us a little bit more about um, the launch of Morpho? You had a lot of expectations and you guys definitely succeeded them. So 
tell us more. How did you find 150 million liquidity in three weeks? Um, this you are aggregating on billions of dollars of deposits, and how did you make sure that there were no risk in terms of cybersecurity? Uh, how did you felt before the launch? Um, so I would I would separate two parts. So like the the product building before the launch and then the timing of the launch and the logic we had at the moment. So before launching, we wanted to make sure that everything was secure such that we could put the company's money into it, which we did. Uh, and uh, when you think of uh, a DeFi protocol where you put your own money into it, you want to feel very comfortable with it. <laughs> so we've made everything in such a way that Uh, we feel comfortable with the security of the protocol. It's a bit like in China, you know, you have those mines and you had so many accidents that the Chinese government has decided to put the management offices below <laughs> the, uh, the mines. Okay. So here it's a bit the same thing. We have all the skin in the game in Morpho, so we make sure everything is going right. And to do so, we've done more than 12 audits on the code of Morpho, which is probably the biggest number of audits you've ever seen uh, this year on, <laughs> uh, on, on, the, uh, on the lending protocol. Oh, even Aave and Compound don't do that, that much audit yeah, yeah, yeah. on that code. Uh, something also that we do that nobody does that we do formal proving. So okay. the protocol is formalized mathematically. Okay. It is proven mathematically okay. before being implemented. So okay. we have research... But on another, on, with using another programming language, right? Uh, no, so we do manual formal proving and automatic formal proving. So manual formal mm -hmm. proving is basically you write a pseudocode uh, with formal specification and you, you prove uh, invariance from the pseudocode okay. mathematically. So we've been working on a yellow paper that is 70 pages long approximately okay. uh, in which we formalize the protocol, the pseudocode and prove the correctness. But you, you prove it using solidity code no, no pseudocode so we so oh, okay yeah okay, okay, we, okay we have pseudocode okay. which is written in mathematical yeah, language yeah, okay. we prove that okay we prove the correctness of the code but we also prove the parallel improvement so we prove that morpho is actually better than existing okay. protocol and we also prove that existing protocols are not a nash equilibrium which means basically that uh, they're not the right model Okay. Okay. And that another model will thrive in the long term, okay. and uh, which is a very interesting result. But anyway, um, and then from this pseudocode, we implement it in, in Solidity. So basically, we in, in Morpho we separate research from Solidity. The research team is independent from the Solidity team, and is going to uh, design the mechanisms, formalize the mechanisms, okay. improve them, and then the Solidity guys take the pseudocode. They implement it, uh, secure it, test it, etc. Uh, audit it, of course. Uh, as I said, we've done more okay, okay. audits. So you make sure that the logic beforehand is, is perfect. Is perfect. Yes. And then you implement it. Okay, yes. great. And then we have also automatic formal proving. So we use uh, another language uh, that is... Called Nishokak? You, you use Nisho? Nishokak? Yes. So we, we could have used Kok, but uh, we use uh, Sertora. Okay. which is a tool for smart contracts specifically. Ah, okay, interesting. And, uh, yeah, so we have our internal formal provers in Morpho okay, that cool. have PhD in formal proving, by the way. Nice, I'm uh, looking for some. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing a little bit uh, like two years ago of that. We, we, I've done like two, no, four tutorials on for, formal verifications. Wow. <laughs> it's quite hard to do, yes. And, um, But yes. it's, it's really fun. Yes, it's good fun. I like it a lot too. 
so we're doing manual and automatic form improving, of course, testing, fuzzing, like we have tools that are very famous, like Slither and, and everything. Uh, and then you have audits, you have immunified bounties, we do front-end audits as well. So once you have all this, really you feel comfortable with your code and you know that there, is, there, is not, there isn't going to be any problems with that. Uh, and, and then we felt comfortable for the launch. And even considering, without considering any you know, growth uh, consideration, we, for the launch, uh, we really wanted to have all this uh, before. And we, we were really putting aside anything that was growth related or timing related and everything. And so only once we have this, we decided to time the launch and everything. And really the timing was bad because it was a bear market, <laughs> like really a harsh bear market at the time. I think when we launched, uh, ETH was at uh, I don't know, $800 or something like that. It was like mid-June, no? Yeah. Yeah, and the end of May was the, like the big crisis. Yeah. <laughs> In the whole market, basically. So it, it was really not the, the best time to launch uh, because you, you can see that like DeFi, a, a, a huge correlation between the TVL of DeFi protocols and, and the market conditions, obviously. And... And so we launched around the, in a bear market, uh, and yet we we had progressively more and, and more TVL. And I would say the main reasons is that uh, we know our users very well, and we are like back channeling with them. And who who are they? So it's it's very simple. Where did you find them? Morpho is an improvement of Compound. So you go directly to Compound users and you explain them. It's it's an educational problem. Once you explain them the mechanism, they just switch because they understand that it's better. And uh, yeah, so what I did is that I'm very bad at business development. So uh, what I did is during the fundraising, uh, I looked on, on chain at what are the top uh, RV users or the top compound users. Uh, I use Nonsen, a tool that is labeling you know, uh, transactions. So uh, I, I, I fetched on-chain the, like the 100 biggest compound and AVI users, used Nonsense to know approximately who they were, uh, try to reach out to them or use my investors to reach out to them and offer them to take part in the round. So I had the time to pitch them the story about Morphos so that they understand what it's all about. And so the reason why Morphos fundraising has more than 80 different investors is because 60 of them are compound and AVI users. And those are the ones progressively switching and increasing the TVL of Morpho. I would say at the moment they account for 60 million of the TVL and it's a growing number every day because, you know, they go slowly but surely adding some mm -hmm. liquidity. So, yeah, that's, okay. uh, that's basically the, the way we grew. I mean, I would say like natural growth and then... Being strategic every step of the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, you have liquidity mining that helps a lot. Uh, so... We, we have had it token incentives that are non-transferable token incentives, but yet people are interested in it. And, and what do you mean non-transferable token incentive? What they, they can cash out, cash them out or? No, it's not transferable. So okay. when you farm the token, you get a token that is not transferable okay. yet. Okay. So there is no price because there is no uh, Yeah, I remember. It. Yeah, okay. So ahead, uh, yeah, I, I can pitch it very quickly, but the idea is that uh, when you do a token launch, there's a lot of problems because you're the one deciding if it's a public sale, 
uh, you can decide may sometimes the launch price there's a lot of decisions that you don't really want to take and you prefer the community taking so one solution that we have had to this is basically making the token non-transferable distributed to the community such that the community has the power and then the community will decide on when to launch the token by making it transferable and if it should be a public sale for the DAO, everything like so that's that's the idea uh, basically behind it and it I would recommend, especially in bear market conditions, any project to do that. It's open source, so anybody can, can check out and, and replicate it. Um, there is something that was very, very, very interesting in, in, your, in your white paper. So on top of, obviously, the, the, the mathematical approach, which makes total sense, and you guys, who seems pretty fun to, to deliver. Um, what surprises me and what I really liked is the lucidity of your white paper towards the governance and the decentralization of the protocol. Um, I'm a very pragmatic guy, so I would have done something similar, but I'm so happy that at least someone in the market didn't like bullshit it completely and admitted what he doesn't know and, and, and just shared it with the others so that we can all take the right decision at the right time because there's no point of taking it right now. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, there's... A lot of things that Morpho Labs, so Morpho Labs is the company I run and, uh, and that is working for Morpho. But there's a lot of things that we're not good at and uh, we're looking for the community to bring answers or external companies to bring answers to Morpho instead of us. So Morpho Labs is really one contributor among others for the Morpho protocol. Uh, we've discussed in the beginning about CNRS researchers and everything. They have their company, they're working for Morpho as well, but they're not affiliated with Morpho Labs, right? And so in the end, a DAO really to me is a public good uh, which offers uh, a financial... So a DAO in the context of DeFi, it's uh, a public good that offers a financial primitive. So in the case of Morpho, it's lending and borrowing. And it's non-lucrative. Yet around it, you have service companies that are working for the public good, which is accumulating a fee in its treasury. So it's a public good. It has non-profit uh, goal. Uh, yet it, uh, the DAO knows that the algorithm must be you know, uh, graded with time, otherwise it will die. So it accumulates a fee in order to survive. And this fee goes into a treasury, and this treasury pays contributors around the world. And Morpho Labs is, at the moment, the biggest one. And, and the very cool thing about it, and just wanted to, to emphasize it a little bit, is that in DeFi, we're really working toward uh, improving a common good rather than operating a financial service, which is amazing in my personal opinion. So in traditional finance, you get paid because you operate a financial service. In DeFi, you get paid because you improve a common good, which is very exciting to me. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, so I wanted to... So two things that are yeah two more things before we get to the to the last uh, to the last uh, chapter, um, the you guys have been doing quite a bold move, trying to shift from like a classical company approach that you had in the beginning to a DAO approach, and a DAO which is not a foundation and which is not outside of friends. So can you can you explain the the reasons and? Yeah, absolutely. So. You have to think of the way Morpho is organized with three different kinds of entities. So you have the company, Morpho Labs. You have the association, Morpho Association. And you have the DAO, 
which is a piece of code. And obviously, uh, the company is a French regulated entity. The association is also a French uh, entity. But the DAO is a piece of code, so there is no uh, regulation uh, around it. And, and the way it works is the following. So Morpho Labs is a software and development company. So we don't operate a financial service. We have no infrastructure. The only thing we do is math and computing and writing pseudocode and implementing it. And basically, Morpho Labs is working uh, either for the association or for uh, the DAO directly. And so the funny thing about it is that uh, the French regulated entity has one client and this client is the algorithm itself that the company built initially. So it's a funny way of thinking of, of DAOs and, 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 and companies, but really it's a, a great way to approach legal setups because at the moment the usual setup is uh, I'm going offshore uh, to create an entity or wrapper for my DAO and I'm going to pay that company offshore and everything but I have personal opinions on that and the the, the main reason is that uh, a lot of people are, are using the fact that there is a blurred jurisdiction around DAOs to uh, pretend that they are legitimate going offshore uh, but in the end there are other advantages on going offshore that are uh, financial, for example, uh, advantages uh, that are sometimes the main reasons why people are living. And it's not a juridical problem, it's more a financial problem, but it's uh, hided by the juridical one. So, yeah, I, I think uh, in, in France we had everything we, we needed. Uh, we have, uh, like, we're just a software development company, then we, we uh, have the same regime as another software development company. Of course, you have regulations that are a bit annoying around distribution of tokens, for example. So it's hard to, to you know, navigate with all this. Uh, so we, we found ways and everything. And we are closely in touch with AMF, uh, French Treasury, Bercy, etc. We do a lot of presentation there as well. And it's really a, a good mood, I think. Uh, they are talking to us and they want to know how to to do it right, I mean, in terms of regulation. Mm. And I really prefer that way. We feel much more comfortable this way. And to be honest, it's also uh, quite uh, efficient as well in terms of, uh, if you do the things right, in terms of uh, uh, finance. So uh, yeah, really no. I had no, no real interest in moving out of France with this specific subject. No, I agree with you. I mean, we have everything we need here. Um, people try to over-engineer mostly, but like we have the French Public Investment Bank, we have yep. all the subvention grants that is given, all the advantages of... Yeah, for research France. specifically, so we're a research yeah. company, so we have like uh, what we call in France uh, Crédit d'Impôt Recherche, yeah. which is a, a help for French companies that are doing research and that is very uh, interesting for mm. anyone that no, is definitely. doing uh, research and development. So really I had no point in moving out of France. Except that maybe it's uh, more simple uh, in terms of paperwork, but uh, that was not enough for, for us. Uh, so we decided to stay. And also, most of the team comes from an academic background, and uh, we've been working closely uh, in the past in universities and everything. So we did not feel comfortable leaving. No, definitely. Uh, I understand, I understand. Um, what did you find hard being a founder in Web3? Uh, so there is no example, uh, like, uh, so th there are examples, but you, you have to, to 
learn to do everything like about a DAO, for example, how like from like the jurisdiction perspective, you have no idea uh, of how you should do things. But the truth is no one has no idea. So you have to to basically invent uh, everything from the legal structure to the smart contract for your DAO or for your protocol or how yeah, to deploy smart contracts and everything. You have to learn everything. And, uh, and the thing is that in Web3, uh, everything is very close to the code in the end. Because a DAO, for example, is, is a piece of code. You, the product that you have is a piece of code and everything. So it's quite uh, deeply technical. And even as a, as a CEO, I had to... like. So I come from a technical background, but uh, I'm glad I am because uh, otherwise I think I would have struggled a lot uh, following what, my, what the company is doing because everything we do is code, right? <laughs> uh, so, and math. <laughs> and math, yeah. But... Uh, but yeah, I would say uh, the, the the most difficult part is that we don't have a jurisdiction uh, for DeFi at the moment. It's being worked out, but it will take long until then. And uh, and yeah, so we had to do everything uh, on our own, I would say. But otherwise, I think it's pretty, you know, you have all those entrepreneurship problems that any entrepreneurs would have, like recruitment and Obviously, yeah. and, and everything. So... So yeah, but that part is like classical. Um, so you mentioned the, the think tank that you had um, at, uh, at school. Um, can you tell us a little bit more and uh, how was the learning curve of DeFi for you, for your teammates? Um, I think it's easy to think that we understand the concepts without understanding them like deeply. And uh, and so at first I was like, hey, Uniswap, it's simple. It's just an AMM. You have liquidity providers and the price is determined by the ratio between uh, asset A and asset B. And then you look deeper into it and it's much more complex than what it seems. So I think there is different levels of understanding. And to reach level one, it's pretty fast, to be honest. Uh, but then to go from... Uh, I would say uh, a deep, uh, from a, a high level understanding to a, a very uh, low level understanding, it can take long. Uh, it, we're speaking in like six months if you go full time on it, yeah, in my opinion. Uh, maybe a bit less, but the idea is that uh, you have so many uh, things to consider to really understand what the DeFi protocol is about, whether it's about oracles that you need to understand, whether it's about solidity code or you know just the mechanism designs behind it it can take uh, it can take very long to really uh, be senior uh, in the subject and uh, I would say you can take uh, you can separate the different subjects like for example for me I started with mechanism design without really coding in solidity so uh, I was really thinking you know about uniswap and 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 compound and have it, but I did not. I would have. I did not know how to code a good solidity code, for example. But I did not need it to. Uh, so yeah, I would say that the learning curve, depending on what you want to do, can be uh, quite uh, simple if you're if you're into uh, like if you just want a high level understanding. But obviously, if you want to really code the thing without any bugs, uh, then it can take much longer than that because you have so many things to consider. And also, 
systemic risk and everything. But. Yeah, I often say that you need like three to six months to be for fully operational on, on a specific subject. Um, obviously, everything you've done is amazing so far, um, but I know like the right entrepreneur, it's never perfect enough for them. So what, is there something you would do differently? Uh, you mean from what I've done in the past? Yeah, from what you've done since inception of the company, for example, or, or maybe before, like the whole entrepreneurial journey that, that led to, to Morpho. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So it's been a year. Uh, so Morpho, we, we, so the company has one year and three weeks, maybe. Uh, so one thing was probably around uh, the way I tackle recruitment, for example. It was a subject that I did not know a thing about, and it's really a, a science in itself. And so I had very low experience around it, and I lost a lot of time just, you know, trying to figure out a way to recruit people and, and test them. And, and also, uh, yeah, so that part I would definitely roll back and, uh, and do, do things differently, even though I, I absolutely love the, the, the people that are working at, at Morpho Labs. I think we, we could have reached to the, uh, the, the same number of people a bit sooner than what we, we currently have. And uh, by the way, we're recruiting at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> so if anyone is interested in technical or, or marketing role, we, we have open positions. But uh, I, I would say that would be the main thing. But otherwise, I'm, I'm pretty happy with uh, what we've done uh, so far. Of course, we could have gone faster, but then faster means probably security trade-offs that we're not going to take. Uh, but yeah, recruitment is probably the most important part where I'm not satisfied. Yeah. All right, thanks. Is there some daily routines you give to yourself in order to be who you are? <laughs> yeah, I would say that I have a very accurate management of my notification system. Okay. So... Uh, Everything is set such that, so in my, you know, uh, computer and phone and everything, everything is set such that if I have a notification, this is something I have to do. Uh, so there is no extra notification that I don't care about, or there is no things that I have to do without notification. And so really, uh, when I look at my computer, I have like, I don't know, 20 mails and uh, uh, 30 telegram chats or something like that I know that all of those things are the things that I have to tackle and I just shoot them one by one and, and go as fast as possible and uh, sometimes it's endless and it's actually <laughs> always endless uh, but I would say it helped me a lot uh, Canonly also is a tool that uh, I like uh, like for example you know uh, I have so many sh shortcuts on, on, on my computer that helps me you know go faster and uh, you know just shooting my Canonly fast, I have like a shortcut to shoot my Canonly. It, it's saving me so much time, I think. <laughs> so it's a simple thing, but I would advise any entrepreneur to do that. Uh, we have a lot of uh, a big uh, internal stack to manage everything automatically. So uh, in Morpho, everything is done automatically, like uh, payroll, uh, everything. So of course, we have the famous uh, like uh, tools that anyone is, anyone is using at the moment, like Conto, Payfit and everything in France. That is like the the the, the startup the, the two bots, uh, <laughs> for for a startup, but we also have a ton of bots internally, uh, and uh, everything that we can automate, we automate it, and so uh, it's earning so uh, us so much time uh, in the end, and uh, yes, yeah, so we have uh, good uh, processes, and it's saving us a lot of time, and this is why we're quite you know 
It's multimedia. What's, what's the, the media, the person, the Twitter account, the newsletter that you would recommend, that you follow, that you find? So from a different perspective, um, I like the Paradigm guys uh, on Twitter. They, they tell interesting stories about whether it's smart contracts or mechanism design. Um, now, uh, yeah, I, I would say like Dan Robinson, uh, Transmissions 11, always have something interesting to say uh, in general. But I, I would say just following the, the projects themselves, like following on Twitter, the, the, the different interesting DeFi primitives like Compound, Aave, Uniswap, etc. Uh, is also a good uh, source of information, I would say. It's, qu it's quite simple, but this is the way I do it and it works. So. Okay, thanks. What's, what's the next milestones of Morpho? So What do you think Morpho is in like five years? Oh, in five years? Like the next milestones and okay, so what do you expect to be in, in five years? So the vision for Morpho is that Morpho is here to make efficient lending a common good, such that anyone in the future that wants to lend or borrow whatever the asset, whatever the currency, whatever, just if you want to lend and borrow under the hood, it's going to be Morpho operating that operation in a very transparent and efficient way. And so if you see 20 years from now, uh, Morpho would be like the operating system of credit. You know, you could think of it this way. And it's public, uh, it's open source, and anyone can use it. So that would be the vision, I would say long-term vision. But to get there, there's a long way to go, obviously. And the first step is uh, DeFi. And uh, how do you take Morpho to uh, being a 150 million protocol to a protocol that is uh, managing billions in, in liquidity? So obviously the goal for us is to reach 1 billion liquidity, which is something... I think we can do uh, easily... Uh, by the end of the year? By the end of the year, yes. And so that would be the goal for us. Uh, yeah, I would say the short-term goal. But then it's not about DeFi, right? So it's, it's about you know, replacing traditional finance. DeFi uh, has the potential to be much more efficient than what we have currently in traditional finance. And I'll explain that very, very simply. You have 50K... Uh, 50,000 banks and credit units in the world and they all do the same thing like they all have their algorithms that they do internally that they keep private so they have their development team their audit firms their buildings marketing team and everything DeFi it's one algorithm for each DeFi primitive so theoretically it's 50,000 times cheaper than traditional finance to operate and so I think that the, the thing that is lacking at the moment is the, in DeFi is efficient algorithms that are competitive with traditional finance. But once you have algorithms that are as efficient as traditional finance, then the infrastructure, infrastructure cost reduction of DeFi is going to play out. And then you have what I call the DeFi product market fit, which is people are switching <laughs> over from traditional finance to DeFi, which they don't at the moment. I, I, especially in lending, like Aave is offering 0.2% on USDC. Who cares about 0.2%? Uh, it's not interesting compared to traditional finance rates. So, so I think once we have the right mechanism designs uh, for DeFi that are sufficiently good to have good rates, native rates, I'm not speaking of like liquidity mining and everything, mm -hmm. uh, there will be this turning point where traditional finance is going to be onboarded to DeFi because it's natively better on mm -hmm. top of being decentralized. 
And this will be the second goal for us, I would say, in the midterm, is that, okay, Morpho is providing additional, additional efficiency. Let's take this efficiency to the point where it's competitive with traditional finance. And that would be next year and the year after, I would expect. <laughs> All right. It was very passionating. I uh, really loved the chats. What, um, I, will, I will finish just with one question. Um, what, are, what are your personal objectives for 2022-2023? So, my personal objectives are very simple. I want to be as useful as I can in general. So, I don't have uh, money in mind. I just have... It's a very, you know lame sentence but making a world a better place whatever that means right it's just i want to bring something to the world in as in making it as big as i can so that you know people use it and it's better for them so more for is improving current state of DeFi, so users are happier because they get better rates for example and really my personal goal is that Morpho is going to solve real-world problems in the long terms and bringing more and more utility uh, to the world in general. So it's a very, you know, generic sentence, but that's actually true. So, so yeah, that's my personal goal. And for 2022 and 2023 specifically, uh, that would be doing it through the improvement of Morpho and onboarding as many users as possible uh, on the platform. Um, so... I totally agree with what you're saying, um, but where would you put the threshold in which you would consider being a success factor? Okay, you mean what That's is the big like, question. let's... Uh, <laughs> Bring something to the world, yes. But you mean uh, quantify it? Or? Yeah, how would you quantify it um, to say, okay, this is the key success factor I wanted to reach. Yeah. I brought something to the world. Yeah, okay, so the key success factor is, so and concretely, in the case of Morpho, would be... Uh, at the moment many financial services are the private playground of many I mean, actually few specific users mm. and the goal is to open that to the world and as soon as I would be able to offer uh, like through Morpho the most accessible interesting rates to any users whether you're a New York Stock Exchange trader or uh, a grandmother in whatever country, uh, you should be able to access that equally if you're equally active or equally passive because, of course, an active user would be able to have more, more interesting rates. But uh, So I would say that, for me, decentralizing the credit world is a great objective. And you know, credit is such a huge market, probably one of the biggest markets in the planet mm. and also one of the most regulated and powerful. And I'm monopolistic. If, yeah, and very, very, very monopolistic. So if you succeed in decentralizing this, I think it's a huge achievement for the world in general. So that would be the objective, personal objective for me. All right. I will uh, support you on that. <laughs> Thank, you. <laughs> Thank you very much, Paul. It was a real pleasure to, to have this chat. Yeah, Thank like you course. again for the invitation in your office. I wish you nothing but the, less, the yeah. best for, for, for Morpho. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you want to join our community, check our Discord link in the show notes. We have some amazing people in there who are in the community, who support each other. It's a safe space for Web3 builders if you want to gather there too. This podcast is a production of Pirates Lab. We'll catch you in the next session.